Get, Get ready, ready for an all-new all Hardline, Hardline segment. segment. It's time to step into the, the snake, snake Pit. And now, with something completely over the top, the host and star of the Snake Pit, Snake. Yeah! Thank you. Thank you. Well, we planned on tackling the runaway mice problem in Australia. Don't know if you guys have seen that. It's quite disturbing, quite alarming. I think I'm going to save it. Because I watched real sports last night. Brag. Kind of is, right? Hey, do you have HBO? (laughs) Uh, No, thank you. Not everybody does. Thank you very much. No. So I watched real sports, and as I will... You know, enjoy that uh, little radio or television magazine program, sports magazine program. And there was one thing in particular I was like, I cannot believe that someone has not thought of this. But is this guy incredibly sorry? So the first segment of Real Sports last night told the story of a former major league pitcher, a guy named Michael Schwimmer, I believe is his first and last name. Pitched for the uh, Phillies for... You know, a cup of coffee, got hurt, career was over. Okay. Spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, though. All right? Mm-hmm. We have heard stories, we have told stories about how horrific... Did I say turd? You said we have turd stories. <laughs> like, all right, let's hear one. Uh, sorry. So, yeah. turd walks into a bar. Yeah. My bad on that one. But we have turd stories about... Minor league baseball, the conditions that they play under. Right. The travel. The travel. All of it. The amount of money that they make, which is. The clubhouse spread. Yes. Which is nothing. They make nothing. And I don't know what the percentage is of guys that get into the minor leagues that never get out. Is it 80? That sounds probably pretty close. It, It could be higher. I mean, it's just like any sport. I mean, there's what each team has like six minor league teams at any given time. And yeah. Times 25 or 30. And, and how many guys do they actually call up for any amount of time? Well, this guy knew how bad it was. And he said he couldn't believe how little he was being paid, which he said at one time his single A salary was like the equivalent of $2.20 an hour for real. Mm-hmm. He was like, it was terrible. Yeah. So after he got out of baseball, Made a little bit of money. He was kind of financially savvy, and he had this idea of, why don't I start this company that starts to help out these minor league players where I will invest in their future? You hear a lot of this in golf, where someone who, and tennis as well, someone who's trying to make it on tour will get someone with a lot of money to bankroll. That's right. Travel, uh, you know, hotel, airfare, all of that, expenses, and if you do make it big, you will get kicked back your money plus a percentage. All right? This has not been done in baseball, though. So this guy had this idea of, let's go down to the minors. He's got a team working for him okay. that has put together this algorithm for all these low-level minor league baseball players. They run the numbers in this algorithm. It spits out a bunch of names, and they go after these names. And they sit them all down when they're 18 years old, 19 years old, and they say, what do you need? We're willing to give you X amount of dollars. If you sign on the dotted line, we'll give you, which I'm getting ready to play the audio of what they actually get, Okay. and then what he gets in return. 
Okay, maybe I'll save my somewhat obvious question uh, until we uh, proceed a little further, I think. Okay, so here we go. He says he had an idea for a new line of work to help other young players reach their dreams by fronting the money when they needed it most. The more money that you have in the minor leagues, the higher likelihood you are to make the major leagues. You can eat healthier. You can live in your own one-bedroom apartment on a mattress instead of an air mattress. And that helps you succeed. And I thought, well, there might be people that want to take on an investment, get money, in order to give themselves the best chance to make it. Schwimmer put together a proposal for a business he called Big League Advance. The numbers don't lie. I believe it's going to be unbelievably successful. Why exactly is he so bullish? Well, consider a standard deal. Schwimmer says the numbers vary, but for a typical player, he might offer $350,000 in cash in exchange for 10% of that player's earnings for the rest of his baseball life. If that player makes, make up a number, $100 million, yep. which would be a great contract, yeah. how much money will they pay you back on that $350,000 that you gave them up front? That would be $10 million if they did the full 10%. That's a lot of money on three fifty. Making $100 million is a lot of money. Of course, on the flip side, if Schwimmer and his team of numbers crunchers invest in the wrong player, they take the loss. If the algorithm is wrong, mm -hmm. player never makes the majors. What do they have to pay back? Zero. Absolutely nothing. Are you mad about that when that happens? I am not. I know it's the risk that I'm taking, and our company is taking, and our investors are taking. So, wow. That this, is fascinating. First off, this guy is rich and he's not rich because he had a cup of coffee in the majors this is already taken off you're kidding no no really he is who are some of his blue chips well you're getting ready to find out he's loaded and they showed his house he's got a full court basketball court he has got a true sign of now if this is 10 percent of their gross contract man that's that's a lot to give up uh, yeah it is so it's funny because did you have a question before we get into this about well, the obvious question? Yes, I, I would think the algorithm would spit out the most likely uh, minor league stars, and don't they, in general, get a nice $5 million bonus when they are signed? I am certainly glad you asked me that, because, you know, like, um, uh, the Rangers are picking second in this draft. Yes. There are two guys, you know, the Lighter, Al Lighter's kid and the Kumar kid, Kumar Rocker, that are you know have been thought of as one of the the Rangers picks forever and the Jesuit kid. Yes, Jordan, they're not Jordan Lawler. They're not after these guys. Okay. They're not after college kid. They're not after high school private school kid from Dallas. They're after Dominican kid. They're after Dominican kid. And herein, this brings up the moral issue. Yes, these kids that they go after are all straight off the island and dirt ass poor. They have nothing. Right. So so they will generally be happy to sign you know a promissory note for the future. Right. So who do they get to interview for this piece? Who is the moral compass who's looking out for the player? Why not go after Scott Boris for an answer sure. of whether or not this is the right thing to do? It's enough that some wonder if he's the solution to the exploitation of minor leaguers or just another part of the problem. Preying on vulnerable young players, especially those from poor Latin American countries, 
where so much of baseball's best talent is from. Do you think they're taking advantage of the players who are in a desperate situation in many cases? You walk into a home of an indigent family, they're unsophisticated. Often many of them don't have high school educations and here's $800,000. They're often going to accept it immediately. Baseball's super agent, Scott Boris, represents dozens of players across the major and minor leagues. He claims that BLA often approaches these players directly without looping their agents into the process. The biggest concern we had was that our players were being solicited without our knowledge. The issue is not what they're offering. The issue is the tactics they're using to get the players to sign the contracts. We tell every single player, we want your agent on the call. Is that right? Every single one. And do their agents join? Well, the players will very often, you know, 30% of the time, like, I don't want my agent to know about this. I built. Okay, so this is the guy, this is the Schwimmer guy, who's, right. who says the players don't want their agents involved. Now, why is that? Is it because it's a 19-year-old kid? They're trying to undercut the agent because don't they get another percentage off that? Well, I don't know if they're trying to undercut the agent or if they're just saying, I know what the agent's going to say. So don't, It's going to tell me not to do this. Yeah, ask for forgiveness and not permission. Not only that, but an agent gets 3%. Yeah. This and, guy, and even that feels oogie to athletes that put pen to paper once they actually make it is, like we were just saying, Lamar Jackson represents himself because he doesn't want to give away 3%. Right. And now you're giving 10 away 10 plus 3. But yeah, plus 3. And that 10% is a wrong number, as you'll hear in just a second. I built this company by players for players, not for agents. Still, Schwimmer insists that BLA has never signed a player without having the player's own lawyer review the contract. In fact, Schwimmer says that before each signing, he requires the player to name their lawyer on camera in a videotaped interview. What is the name of the lawyer who reviewed the contract with you? And make sure the players know what they're getting into. We do an interview with the player on camera, asking him questions. Do you understand, if you make $500 million, you're gonna owe us 50 million over the course of your career. If they can't answer the questions correctly, we don't do a deal. That I will... sounds like you're protecting yourself for a later lawsuit. No, absolutely Say not. Say this into the microphone. It's the literally <laughs> exact opposite. I would not be able to sleep at night if I knew a player did a deal with us and didn't fully understand it. So this guy's got a ton of slime to him. Just the thick veneer of mm -hmm. turning into a slick salesman almost. Um, and yeah, the video, they showed these videos and it looks like, I mean, these are children. These are uneducated children. And it's to cover your own ass because 20 years from now when that guy does have a right. $500 million, True. you want to have that video that, sa that says, look, he we asked him the questions. There's your lawyer he answered. right there on camera. Okay, so what about current players? All right. Because there are current players that he has that are doing quite well, and do they have any regret over uh, signing with this guy? How long? Hang on, but real quick. Yeah. How long has this been going on? Oh, a couple of years. Okay. Yeah, in a very small amount of time. Whoops. And we're going to do it here. But Schwimmer acknowledges that at least 50% of the players they've signed are from poor Latin countries. Players like Fernando Tatis Jr., Wow. Really? Would There's you like to know money. how much Fernando Tatis Jr. just signed for? Probably enough to justify uh, this guy's entire existence in doing this. Like 340 or something? $340 million. Mm -hmm. Bro. Now, 
why would Fernando Tatis Jr. sign with this guy when Fernando Tatis Sr. was a major league player and had money? Yeah. Because and he was the number one prospect when he was seventeen years old. I don't, he knew he was going to make a it. I don't get it. Significant bonus baby, as I recall. Was Dad out of the picture? Boy, you're asking me one that I don't know. Okay, so they go on. Just listen. This sounds shockingly weird. Franmil Reyes and this year's sensation, Yermin Mercedes. Yermin Mercedes send him to the All Star game. White sauce, Mercedes says he made the deal with Schwimmer's company when he was in the minors because his family back home in the Dominican Republic needed the money. I have a big family. Uh, they need me all the time because right now um, I'm the head of my family. I just want to do the best I can do for them. So you got $165,000 from BLA? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And then what percentage of your future earnings do they then get? Fifteen. Fifteen percent. Yes. If Mercedes keeps hitting, he will make millions. Whoa. That's the good news. The bad news is that for the rest of his career, he'll owe Big League Advance 15 percent of every MLB check he earns. They gave you 165000 You have to pay them, if you make $10 million, $1.5 million. I gave it to them. Yeah. You know Why? Why? Because those people trust in me. They believe in me, you know. Nobody believed in me at that point, and they believe in me. Yeah, I mean, his story kind of broke my heart, right? He needed the money for his family. Thank God for us. In the DR, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank God for us. Thank God for us. 160000 This guy got $160,000 to take care of his 10 siblings and 40 other people. Which I'm sure spends a lot bigger yeah. than it you know but it, that's where he it. came from that's than it incredible. does here and, and this guy is like a masher that probably could stand to make just like fernando tatis jr hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and it's all a 15 percent of it 15 15 plus five for his agent yeah how is the other guy like 10 percent for 360 that's the thing it's 15 that's the deal it ain't 10 bro yeah it's re- it was really eye opening. Again, what you a are fascinating story. Though. You are providing a service. Yeah, you are helping these guys out, and you, there are risks that you these yes. guys may never hit. And you've got to eat that one to two or to three hundred thousand dollars. But you just need a couple. But all you need, yeah, it's like in, in and music, he's done you it. Need one hit. Uh, he's done it. One last question, because uh, we probably got to run. But how many of these guys are handed 300 grand or 200 grand and turn it into a Range Rover that they don't actually need as opposed to the nutrition and the uh, sleeping conditions and things of that nature? There's there's no sort of, no. hey, you got to use this. No, you use it however you want. Because uh, clearly, if, well, yes, but that doesn't actually, yeah. if you're investing in their future, it's just like handing your kid the college money that you've saved for them. Go to college. And then they can go do, <laughs> they spend it on PlayStation games. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, right. no, 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 no. I, I, we, this is money is earmarked for your own good. But it's gold-plated Xbox games. <laughs> no, it is, oh, son. So but it's an investment. <laughs> yeah. See, that makes perfect oh, sense. Oh, man. That is uh, both insanely interesting and, uh, yes, uh, bordering on heartbreaking in some regards. It's troubling. All right. Uh, that was one of my favorite snake well, pits ever. Hey, thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. I'm going to agree with Danny. The ticket.
So Friday night, I am out at a local tunage emporium, hanging out, enjoying the band. And a fellow comes up to me with his phone out and shows it to me. And there Penis. is something <laughs> there is something on there saying that Vinnie Paul Abbott had passed on to the next plane. Well, right away, as any music follower, music camp follower around here would, I recognized that name. It was a name that I knew, a guy that I knew. That is Vinnie Paul of Pantera. And later on, hell yeah. And the brother of the late great Dimebag Daryl, also in Pantera. Was Vinny in Damage Plan too, or was that just I think that was dime just, bag. I think that was Dime Bag. Okay. And uh, yes, the story said that he had passed away. There were no details available as of yet. But right then, you go about doing whatever you have to do, whatever you can do to find out more, looking around on your phone at all these various places to see who knows what. And the story was confirmed in pretty short order by Pantera on their Facebook page that this had indeed happened. 54 years old, and the latest that I saw was that uh, it was heart attack. He had a massive heart attack. Yeah. Now there may have been something else related to it, but... The first report was that he died in his sleep. Yeah. But now that has been changed. That well, he been... was still was sleeping, right? He had a heart attack in his sleep. I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything about Heart attack in his sleep. I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything about him having a heart attack in his sleep. I just know it was a massive heart attack, they say. Okay. I, I think it did happen while he was sleeping. But whatever the case, he uh, had some sort of heart issue. And joining us now is a man that I'm glad that we're not doing a trifecta segment about him. That is our... Although, although one is inevitable at some point. <laughs> our old friend, Dan Bayless. It's funny. You guys, you guys bring me on for a segment and I hear the darkness music and I'm like, did somebody not tell me something I need to know? <laughs> right. <laughs> is this heaven, Jesus? <laughs> what a horrible way to enter heaven is you have to listen to the hard line talk about your death before you can go in. Hang on, man. It'll take like 10 minutes. Hey, how do you They'll know? They'll get on with how it. How do you know that's not the way it's done? Is there half-ass in their way? Th- oh, did he have a heart attack? or Was he sleeping? Was he gay? <laughs> well, for the to correct one small thing, Damage Plan was Vinny and Daryl's band that they formed after Pantera. Okay, so he was in it. Because, yeah, because they kicked Phil out, and then they started an entirely new band. And then That's right. Daryl passed away, because he was killed on stage while they were in Damage Plan, and then Vinny did Hell Yeah as his own kind of kind of project as with, you know, the only remaining member, I guess, So of the brothers. He was living in Las Vegas? Yeah. that was, And that's been the case for some time now, right? That's what I'm seeing here. I don't know exactly how long that's been the case, but he was a resident of Las Vegas. Can we quantify, Danny, like when they were at their height, mm-hmm. how, how big they actually were? Because I wasn't into the music and I really wasn't. I, I mean, but they were selling millions upon millions of records and selling out wherever they went giant places, right? 
Yeah, they were huge. I mean, they were multi-platinum. Um, as far as that genre of music, they were probably a tick under bands like Metallica at their prime and Slayer at their prime, Anthrax, Megadeth. They were maybe just a, a, a tier right under those guys. But as, you know, as revered um, or even more by critics, more more so than those bands themselves. But my first exposure to them was gosh, probably late middle school, early high school, and a buddy of mine had found a tape of this band from Dallas called Pantera. And we listened to it, and that's back when they had Ter- uh, Terrence. Um, that he, he was the lead singer before Phil. And it was kind of, you know, glam metal, and the thing that I took out of it is, you know, this music is not that great. It's, it's okay. But the two things that stood out were they had the most wicked-ass guitar player and an incredible drummer obviously being the you know the Abbott brothers Mm -hmm. and then once I moved to Dallas um, they kind of disappeared for a little bit Um, they started kind of revamping a little bit and I was here in 87 and I'd never seen them before and I made the trip one one night by myself out to this Fort Worth club called Savvy's and Terrence was no actually it was Phil had just joined the band and I didn't even know. I just saw Pantera. I've got to go see these guys. I've you know, listening to them since I was a, a young kid. And they were doing a lot of Metallica covers. They were doing Cinderella covers. Like a, <laughs> It was really confusing. They were doing a lot of original music, but the covers they were doing was kind of some glam metal. But you could also tell that what was about to happen because they were doing a lot of Slayer and Metallica and real he- a lot heavier thrash type stuff. Yeah. And then after a, a year, about a year and a half after that, I got to get an advanced copy of that Cowboys from Hell album. And it was, without question, probably the most influential album. When you when we hear bands today that, you know, you talk about like Mutt Vane and Crotch Rocket and I don't know, all these <laughs> bands that we, we call like butt rock. It's like that real right. tuned down heavy riff guitar music. That If it weren't for Pantera, you would have, None of those bands. They completely invented a style. I guess it was called like groove metal back yeah. then. It had like a cool groovy riff feel to it, but it was still technically fast. And, and with the addition of Phil being, being almost like a death metal type screaming singer, man, they tapped into something that nobody was doing. So what was there? Originally, they're from Arlington, right? Like that's... Yeah. Pantigo. Pantigo? Yeah, Pantigo. God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What was their break? Was it, I mean, when did they go from local band to whatever? I mean, was it in the 80s or did that, did that not happen until the 90s? No, it was, it was late 80s. I think Cowboys from Hell came out, man, if I'm not mistaken, 88, 87, 88, 89. They had a three album run right there where they're, I was out, I think I was actually at the video shoot for Cowboys from Hell at the basement because we used to hang out there a bunch. I became pretty good friends with their sound man, Aaron. And uh, so we'd always have access to go check those guys out. Never really hung out with them much, but I will tell you, I did have the one interfacing that I had with Vinny was that night that I went to go see them in one of their transitionary phases when uh, um, uh, Phil had just joined the band. I, I hung I hung around because I, I was new to town. I didn't know any musicians. I didn't know anybody, for that matter. And I just kind of hung around, and, and Vinny was out front by the merch booth, you know, selling CDs or, or records and shirts and stuff. And I just asked him, I go, hey, man, um, and this skinny, you know, I'm this skinny, goofy, pimply-headed, you know, long-haired kid in, in tight jeans and a leather jacket and kind of 
talked to him for a second. And I just said, "Hey, what? I just moved here. What? What would be your advice to a, a musician that just moved into a big city and is looking to put a band together?" And he gave me advice that I will still give to kids this to this day if they come up and ask me the same question. And he essentially just said, "Look, find it. Go out and see as many bands as you possibly can. Go to the clubs. Find your scene. And when you start talking, when you start talking to people." Um, the thing to keep in mind is no matter how good of a player the person is, if you can't hang with him and he's not like a brother to you and somebody you can spend a ton of time with, it's never going to work out. Wow. So Solid rather, advice. Rather have that chemistry, that relationship, rather than have some guy that is like can play like Ingve, you'd rather have somebody that can play like Joe Perry and be somebody you can really hang out with. And that stuck with me. What was there? It's great advice, and he and he was so cool to take the time to talk to this kid that he had no idea, never met in his life, for like five or ten minutes, and was super gracious and thank you and hey man, I hope to see you at another show sometime, and good luck with your bands, and you know welcome to Dallas Fort Worth. It, he didn't have to do any of that. That's he cool. Was only four or five years old. He was only four or five years older than myself at the time. The ticket. Try not to dive into this, uh, you know, avenue of my life very often on the air just because, hey, whatever, man. But uh, you may or may not be aware that I have a bit of a religious background. Grew up in a very religious home and uh, went to a religious school and then a religious university. And uh, so so the uh, topic of faith in these matters always is of interest to me on a certain level. Now, at different points in my life, I've intersected with it in different ways, and it's, let me just say, it's been an interesting couple years. <laughs> but uh, I want to just put that out there as a preface to another slightly scenic route to today's story, which is you guys now know from me being on this show that uh, I'm friends with the guys at No Laying Up the uh, golf podcast slash YouTube channel slash whatever. Yep. And Big Randy's been on our show, and so has Tron, and uh, so has uh, DJ and uh, Neil, and uh, just about everybody except Sally has been on the show at one point or the other, but I really like those guys. Well, Big Randy has a side podcast, <laughs> so it's not even their main podcast. It's his like side bit called The Trap Draw. I've been a guest on the trap draw. That's how spare it kind of is. But when they go, when the tour goes to a given city, they get somebody from that city on and they talk about pretty much everything but golf. They talk about, you know, what makes Dallas Dallas, where do I got to eat if I go there, blah, blah, blah. Well, when they came through town for the Nelson, I was curious who they would get. And they got a guy on who I had never heard of. No disrespect. But uh, I don't know every person in Dallas. Do you guys? Not yet. Okay. We're trying. Yeah, man. But this guy's name is Ben. And I would find out that Ben is uh, a P1 or familiar with uh, what we do. But you want to talk about different lanes. So he is another guy who grew up in a pretty strict household and has been churched or homeschooled or all those things for much of his life until he joined the Marines. And somehow he went from that background to a guy who has an Instagram account with 
nearly 300,000 followers called Preachers in Sneakers. Now, hearing him tell the story is pretty amusing. He has a book out now, and I guess it's doing pretty well. And uh, you know, he's he's, but it's 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 all from this Instagram account that I guess did not even exist two years ago. And to hear him tell the story, he's sitting home one day, like so many of us church people over the last couple of years, and saying. I don't really think I'm going today, but there's a whole church world like on YouTube. And so it's like anything else on YouTube. You just sort of, I mean, you can basically travel the world's churches and decide where do I want to go? What famous preacher? Or who do I want to uh, hear from on Sunday morning if you want to do that? Or I suppose you can watch a sermon anytime you want, but uh, you just go watch a church service from their video platforms. But that day, I guess he was just watching one and he happened to notice that the song guy, the song leader, the musical minister, whatever you want to call it, had like $800 Jordans on. And that struck him as, huh, that's kind of odd. And he started going down this rabbit hole of like today's, he calls it Instagrammable churches, and they're definitely everywhere, especially in big cities like this one, where you're part Christian service guy, but also part fashion icon who's always in the best stuff, which is sort of a weird path for the ministry. And just saying, if it's a lot of money, just saying everybody kind of knows where people in church get their money, and then to turn it into, uh, you know, a suit of a five-figure suit seems mm-hmm. like perhaps not exactly the natural order of it doesn't the seem tithe. churchy yes nor do private jets not saying that a person in ministry has to be a pauper if you right. will right but also uh maybe maybe not two private jets that sort of thing let's find <laughs> let's just get one let's find the middle so his deal his whole instagram deal which is really blown up was basically to use the own their own um promotional stuff like their own instagram thing and just see what the pastors and the ministers of the world are wearing and then he knows the sneaker game and the fashion game and that's a Gucci bag and that's a hoodie that's twelve hundred dollars. Is he over calling here. him out? He's just just putting one next to the other. Just the ad and the Just saying like, hey, be careful over here because this looks a little shady type thing. Just kind of a asking questions about how we do things and okay. is this a good idea? I like it. And, and and I kind of am right there with them. I considering that their leader probably wore the opposite of $800 Air Jordans. Thank you. I don't know, man. Those Burks were pretty sweet. And, and, Those weren't Burks. And, and I, I, <laughs> he wore a giant towel and some Jerusalem cruisers. Basically. And washed and, other people's feet. He didn't say this, but since I met up with him today over coffee, I did say I don't know that Jesus envisioned million-dollar preachers. And I don't know that he envisioned, like, uh what are you, what's the term? Like, like there shouldn't have been a, there shouldn't have been a, be a TV show called Righteous Gemstones making fun right. of the million dollar or there shouldn't there probably shouldn't be like uh 
like a celebrity or a headhunter trying to wow the pastor from Seattle to the church in New York with this massive financial yeah. boon. It does yeah. that feels oogie to me, right. and it feels oogie to him. So he made an Instagram channel. Well, he's telling the story of <laughs> he's telling the story of how this thing came to pass, and this is where I thought today's funny lies. I'm listening to his interview with Big Randy and Tron from a couple months ago on the trap draw. Mm -hmm. And I heard this 30 seconds. And I, I'm just going to play it for you. All right. Here you go. Uh, Another element of that is like, I didn't have a full-time job. And so I was DJing uh, part-time moonlighting here in Dallas, a couple spots down in deep Ellum, which is like, I write about it in the book, basically a wannabe bourbon street. It it smells similar to um, (laughs) at this place, this tapas place that, had no one that nobody came so i would dj basically for myself for four straight hours (laughs) and so i did this this was in march of 2019 and uh dj until like three o'clock in the morning so slept through church the next morning and i guess out of guilt or okay so that's all you need to hear so i'm talking to him today and i'm you know we're kind of exchanging stories and i said man i feel like we had a very similar background except how did you How'd you end up DJing at a topless place? Topless. Oh, you thought. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? I said, you DJed at a topless place? How did, like your wife went for that? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. Topless. <laughs> so I got back in my car and I'm listening and I'm like, am I hearing this wrong? And I'm like, hold on. It smells similar to um, at this place, this topless place that had no one that nobody you heard it right yeah i heard it well first or off, did you know, I know because there's, it's deep Ellum. there's no topless places no, in deep Ellum. And, and nor did i had no i didn't think there was either but yeah. but i didn't know topless places have djs well, and also it's you a, put a dj anywhere yeah i guess you can it's a cue that did you hear that right Danny? if the, i heard tapas just as <laughs> yeah much like corby if I, there's my mind wasn't going there like yours bob <laughs> If there's no one it's in there, it's a weird space for the Christian author right. to also DJ. So it's a topless place, <laughs> but no, there's no one there either, which would tell you it's a topless place and not a topless place. <laughs> because if it was a topless place, I don't care how scuzzy it is, people are there. Yeah, he's ha- he has an audience at a topless place. So mm-hmm. for three months. You know, we're sort of like I texted him. I'm like, man, story's cool. Let's meet up sometime. He's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And it finally happened today. And one of my goals of this trip was to try to untangle the whole topless hey, thing. Do you have a strip club problem, man? <laughs> do you have any Somebody passes? Yeah. <laughs> passes. Like if you're not using them, uh, I, you know, I know some people. So I just, I just had no idea. Topless. I just had. <laughs> I'm like, why? Okay, this explains it because I love tapas. <laughs> that makes more sense to me. And now I feel like maybe we have more in common. You should combine the two, you know, and have some. Yeah. Nice, Who hasn't uh, done that bite-sized yet? Bite-sized Spanish food served by a naked lady. <laughs> so there you go. Is he aware of the ticket? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's relatively new in town he only got here in 2019 or oh, so okay, so, okay, yeah. so he's uh he's he's new in that variety but uh shout out to ben and uh preachers and sneakers that's awesome is, uh is, is something hey, dude. i didn't even know existed good on him that's a pretty savvy way to go about well, uh, just kind of signaling the warning sign you're not gonna believe it there's been some blowback oh shocking not well received in all circles okay